I talked about this idea of um, holistic ambition, which is this mm. intentional desire to be, become, or create something new, better, or different that is aligned mm. with who we are and what we value. And so in the piece, I talk about how this could be everything from designing a dream house to ensuring your sick parents have comfortable end of life, training mm. for a half marathon, or, you know, frankly, and this might resonate with you, or just being more patient around your kids, right? Mm. And so I think that we need to kind of step back from this idea of, you know, ambition is only tied to work. Hello, hello, beautiful people. Thank you again for tuning into the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharath. I am so, so, so stoked to have this guest on my podcast today. Uh, where do I start? I think it's been a long time since I had this, you know, the conversation with the guest. But without further ado, let's welcome Steve Schlafman. How are you feeling, Steve? Welcome to the show. Good, good. I just, I just had lunch, so I have a full, a full stomach, and I'm, e I'm eager to be here. And it's nice to see you again. Absolutely, yeah. I think quick fun fact. I think this, this, this goes back to like three, three years ago, if I'm not wrong. When I was, I'm actually exploring the no code projects. You and I, we wanted like hopped on a call, and we, we wanted to collaborate on a, on a side project. It didn't work out well, but I got to know you better. So. That's yeah. that's like the benefit out of it. And uh, man, where, where do I start about Steve? Steve. So first of all, do you want me to call you Steve or Schlaff? Because most of most folks call you Schlaff. Yeah, you can call me whatever you feel most comfortable with, Steve or Schlaff. You just can't call me Steven because my mom, my mom, that's reserved for my mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's good to know. Okay, let's call, let's, let's go with Schlaff because I think that's well, that's where you, you're well known. So Schlaff is a professional transition coach. I want to also, you know, kind of unpack about that uh, later in the episode, but he's a writer, podcaster, teacher, and a girl dad, you know, amazing. Uh, he switched many hats from being a newspaper delivery boy to working at world-changing brands like Microsoft and a sports team, New England Patriots, to investing in startups and now being a coach and a writer. Uh, for his newsletter, Where the Road Bends. I love that name. Uh, Thank you. Currently, Steve is on a social media break. So I want to take a moment and exp express my gratitude and appre appreciation for coming on this podcast because it means a lot. You would have said, hey, man, I'm out. <laughs> I'm on a break, but I appreciate still you. Doing uh, some, I'm still doing some podcasts, so I'm not entirely off of the web. I'm just not spending my time and attention focus in the social media feeds. Right. So right off the bat, I have this question. So I, I read the blog, the post about why you're going away from the feed, meaning I think you put it really well. Your, your presence is more important than your feed, right? That's, mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to like, you know, say that I'm taking a social break. Talk to me about the, why, why are you taking the, mm -hmm. the break first place? And I also want to touch upon a couple of points, you know, a couple of experiences you wrote in the post, but yeah, talk to me about like, you know, what made you do this and how are you enjoying it? Yeah. Well, to answer the first question, and, and I wrote this in the post, um, but geez, this was back in April. I was going down a rabbit hole on artificial intelligence like so many people mm -hmm. have, have been have been doing and right. i listened to an interview between max tegmark uh, mm. the, the artificial intelligence and machine learning researcher at mit and on mm. lex friedman show and you know max effectively said to his wife that you know, he sort of believes that humanity has been giving a cancer diagnosis and mm. um, it could be life-threatening. There's also a chance we survive it. And so with that, I, I took out my journal in the, in the days that followed and was like, okay, well, you know, if we've all been given this metaphorical cancer diagnosis, how do, mm -hmm. how do I want to live with that? And mm. 
the thing that really, I mean, a bunch of stuff came up as I share in the post, but what really came to the surface was I just want to be more present. I, you know, I want to mm. be more intentional with how I use what I personally believe is really the most priceless, scarce resource that we have, which is our, our attention and, and, right. and really presence. And so that led me on a journey to look at all of the ways in which I lose presence and the things that right. take me out of presence, things that trigger me. And over the course of a few weeks, I just observed myself like I was, you know, a, a, a scientist studying lions on the Serengeti. And what I mm. discovered was that the one thing that reliably took me out of presence and eroded my the quality of my attention was was social media, specifically Twitter. Um, mm. And I went back and forth for a long time and rationalized. Well, you have you know seventy thousand plus followers. This is mm. you know a lot of your business is driven off of Twitter, and. I just, that, that rationalization took place over the course of several months. And finally, I had this experience on a medicine journey that I won't get into here, mm. but coming out of it, it was like, okay, I'm ready to really put down my phone and, and start to mm. just cultivate the state of presence that I'm, I'm longing for. And to answer your second question with a, 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 a shorter and, and more, uh, pointed answer. It's been amazing. It really, mm. like, I haven't missed it one bit. Um, you know, th there are some aspects that actually it's not true. There are some aspects of it that I do miss, but on the whole, it's been really nice. And I feel mm. like just things have slowed down. Um, I'm able to more intentionally divert where I put my in attention because, mm. um, you know, the information that I'm getting is no longer algorithmically generated. And so mm -hmm. I'm really able to kind of feel my way into what it is that I want to consume and why. And yeah, and it's, I'm just seeing the ripple effects in my life, whether it's, you know, at work or, or at home being with my girls. Yeah. So a couple of follow-ups for the first follow-up. I know, I think we live in a very digital age and our digital presence is, you know, again, you correct me if I'm wrong. You, you saw the other side. I didn't see the other side. So you tell me like, you know, if the, if the statement itself makes sense. Yeah, we live in a digital world where our, our online presence or digital presence actually is tied to our livelihood, right? Like founders, they're not on social, like promoting their stuff talking about their business or their ideas, their futures, products, the milestones, it gets very hard to grow and forget about Maybe. scaling. Just, yeah. Maybe. So yeah, you, that's why, that's the, that's Maybe. why I want to like unpack. What is that you, how, how do you feel about that? Like you said, maybe, so expand that maybe. And do you think still uh, folks can achieve what they achieved when they are online? especially on Twitter, like, you know, these platforms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, there's something that you said that, that triggered something in me. Um, to me, it's, it's not like our digital presence is the word you used. Mm -hmm. And what I like to say is at a certain point, it becomes our identity. And right. the more that we invest in that identity, right. the more we identify with it. And the mm. more we identify with it, the harder it is to detach from that. Mm. And so why do I bring this up in, in the context of your, of, of your question? Well, I think there's a lot of people on social media, whether you want to call them influencers, thought leaders, mm -hmm. um, founders that use it as a means to grow, um, mm -hmm. that presence ultimately becomes a significant part of them. And mm -hmm. with that, there are narratives and stories. And we tell ourselves, especially if we're in the echo chamber of Silicon Valley, that mm -hmm. the only way to build a company or to be successful in your career or to do certain things is to have an active presence online. Mm. Now, stepping back, 
I benefited being online for over 15 years, right? Like I would not have had many of the opportunities that I came across um, if I if I wasn't. Now hmm. that said, with a little bit of distance, what I've come to realize, Sharaf, is that there are many different ways to play the game. Hmm. And this is something that I, I, I still work with a few investor clients and everyone's like, oh, I have to be on social media. How are founders going to find me? Right. And it's like, maybe like I can point to a handful of investors that have no presence on social media and that are highly successful. I bet you and I could come up with a list of a hundred entrepreneurs that have been insanely successful that aren't on social media. So it really mm. comes down to, you know, what are the stories you're telling yourself and what are the games you want to play? If it's something mm. you enjoy and you're naturally gifted at it and it really drives your business, great. If it doesn't right. feel natural and you feel like you're going against the flow, then, you know, why, why continue to do it? In the context of coaching, because that's now the, I guess, the business that I'm in, you know, there are a number of coaches that have built insanely successful practices and frankly, companies, not, you know, mm. unicorn, but, you know, businesses that probably generate seven figures in profit and right. do very, very well. Um, they have zero presence online. So mm. I think it's just my way of saying, like, I don't think it's, I think it, it can be a catalyst and can absolutely help but I don't necessarily believe it's, it's necessary. It's a must. It's, it's it, what you're saying is kind of like a, like a good point to think about. It's not a must. It's something that you choose for. And if, like you said, if, if the, the personality is tending towards it and not causing distress, not causing uh, the identity crisis or not causing this, uh, suffering of like hey why am i not getting the vanity metrics everybody chases about i feel if we balance that out i feel it's a great way so you also remind me uh so i'm reading steve jobs biography for the second time you know this is they want to do it yeah second time because now i'm in more startups i read before i entered into startups i was fascinated by wow this is all like amazing now i want to add my perspective and read uh his thinking and how, how he did things. One thing amazed me was he never had a social presence, like never, right? Like, so 70s, nah. there, is, there is no social. <laughs> so actually that actually gave, to your point, I was also, that was also in my back of my mind. How the hell did Apple do it when there is actually no social game itself right like now everybody plays well, the social they, game. they 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 created a new category of product and discovered that people want this now as i'm listening to you what's interesting is you use steve jobs like obviously mm -hmm. it's steve like mm -hmm. you know pioneer you know one of the greatest entrepreneurs uh in 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 modern times um i think about carl rogers the um the well-known american psychologist mm. right and he you know he wrote in 1961 a book called on, on becoming so he was raised in the 1920s um mm. and is really credit credited with you know a bunch of um key ideas that led to the coaching profession such as right. like unconditional positive regard which means like i show up for my clients and see them in a positive light hmm. as someone like finding one, just one or two aspects of them that I see as, as positive and hmm. as, 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 um, really nice qualities. Why do I bring this up in the context of your story about Steve jobs? Well, if you knew anything about Carl Rogers, he spent almost the first decade of his career in Rochester, New York, making $2,500 a year. I'm mm. going to say that again, $2,500 wow. a year. All he did was counsel young troubled youth boys specifically almost mm. a decade of his life. No professional interaction. He, you know, and, and he didn't say this, but effectively said this in his book, he was in Siberia, but it was that experience of putting his head down mm. and just doing the work. 
nobody was watching. And through that foundation of experience, some of the most influential, you know, approaches and philosophies around supporting mm. human beings came to fruition. And so I think, listen, social media and being present online and building in public and all these things, it's a wonderful thing. Mm. But I also think there's no substitute for just putting your head down and doing the work. Mm. I think that's, we should all, we should all spend a lot of time thinking about that. Like, um, probably we should, I don't know. I probably I'm thinking that to start like a week off and week on to try it out. Like, you know, how it feels when you put heads down, working on something, not worrying about what other people think or, uh, anything that, that, that's kind of like distracts from us to actually focus on what we want to do. Right. I, man, this is, well, well, yeah. And, and, and listen, I, I appreciate you being willing to have this conversation with me because I know you're, you know, a big part of your identity is being the built in public guy. And mm -hmm. as I, as I sit here, listen, I'm built in public. There's no, mm -hmm. no judgment toward, right. towards the way that you show up in the world what I'm, what I'm simply saying is like in the case of like a Carl Rogers or a Steve jobs, like, I think it's very easy for us to look to the influencers of today that right. are sharing online and their experience. And by the way, a lot of those are completely valid and there's wisdom mm. and real knowledge and it's helping a lot of people. Mm. And I think there's a whole host of people like, Carl Rogers, that nobody, very few people on Twitter even know that yeah. I exist. And you could pick up his biography and read even a hundred pages of it and be like, wow, this thing is just dripping with wisdom. So mm. I want to be what I'm coming to appreciate, especially as I've moved to like away from social two months ago, is revisiting these older books, mm. is revisiting these older body of works and honoring them. Because mm. it's not like, hey, I learned this thing because I just started doing this thing. It's like, no, I've he was embedded in his practice for decades. Right. And that right. this body of work that he's sharing with the world is the culmination of that. So mm. it's just, you know, it's just a different lens. And what I would say is, can you, can you, is, is there a way to hold both as, as, as ways to learn? Can, yeah, you honor, that's right? can you honor the past and, you know, be in the now and learn from, you know, who's, who's, you know, out in front and sharing all the great things that they're learning in real time. That's true. I feel, yeah, you made me think about, uh, we all should have retreats. I think what you're doing right now is kind of going to a retreat. It's uh, exactly what cutting, it is. That's a great way to put it. Cutting it's down about, everything. Sabbatical, correct? Yeah, it's, I think we should all have like a like take a mini, maybe like a quarterly sabbatical because sabbatical the word itself is uh, stigmatized, right? Like if you are not doing anything, at least to me, right? Like where I come from in India, if if you are taking sabbat sabbatical and not doing any work, you are lazy. Period. <laughs> That's I mean that that's that's true that's true for the United States as well like in my coaching practice I work with you know some amazing clients that have I mean all, all of them have had a, a fair amount of success or a tremendous amount of success and the thing that I hear over and over and these are people that um in some cases never have to work a, a, a day again have taken companies public have served right. the presidents of the United States and they feel like they, um, they need to, like, if someone asks them, what are they doing? There's a, there's a, there's a feeling that they need to come up with an answer that will be socially acceptable. And if it's, Hey, mm. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, right. then that, then that, like, that's not socially accepted. And like, people will be like, well, what do you mean? You're like, you're, you're searching for what's next. So you're not, you're not doing anything. Right. You're resting. Right. I think I want to put it in an analogy. It's like a car refilling the gas once it's done its course, right? Like, so I think sometimes 
uh, I stretch. I, I can talk about myself. I stretch, 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 stretch. And all of a sudden, I feel like very stressed out, very depressed that none of the things I'm doing is actually working. Right. So mm-hmm. these books, talking to people like you, that's why I'm doing this podcast. It's, it actually resets my perspective now and then. Every episode, everybody brings a new angle. Today, you are bringing me that, hey, it's okay to take a small break out of everything. Like focus on people who majority of don't know. I don't know who Carl Rogers is. I'll be honest. I have no clue. <laughs> till you said about I wouldn't him. expect so, you to know who he is. So I feel like, like you said, you know, tributing the past, tributing that wisdom, soaking yourself in is really important. And I'm taking away that lesson with me. Uh, I want to do yeah, like and, a second follow-up. Can I, can I quickly just add one point, Shroff? The sure, other sure. thing that I would mention is that if you and I were having this conversation a month, uh, a month ago, I mean, three months ago, certainly mm-hmm. six months ago, I would have had a very different perspective on this stuff. And mm. so... It's my way of saying as, and this is something that I, I spend time with my clients on, but as we move through time and space and mm. we um, embed ourselves in environments and systems, mm. it ultimately influences who we become. Mm. And so if we have a conversation, another comment, if we do round two in a year from now, my guess is I might have very different opinions and beliefs and perspectives on mm-hmm. on this very topic so mm-hmm. um that in other words i'm I'm not holding these things very tightly because right. um they're going to shift and evolve and emerge you're very fluid that's what you're saying it's yes. you're fluid like you know like water you know in bruce lee's words like you know be like water go as you go and which, which, which is right? why if you if you uh, look at my twitter bio so my, and what i've been up uh, the second, oh. my follow-up question to the second part, uh, how are you building these habits? Are you building any habits when you feel like FOMO or when you feel like, oh my God, I want to go back to my feed. How are you diverting yourself positively, not forcefully, positively mm-hmm. uh, that you want to share with us? Because I think that's truly important, having like a like a practice where you you took a stand and you actually are disciplined towards it. So mm-hmm. any habits or anything that you're doing uh, by not getting back to social? Yeah, so, so a few things. First is because it came from a place of um, choosing a, a way of being, right? Mm. It's not like I was coming at this from the standpoint of, oh, I got, I mean, there were, there were plenty of months and there have been plenty of times where it's like, oh, I got to get off social. I can't. Right. Um, and so to use my, my, my teacher's parlance language, I was below the line. I was triggered. I was mm. activated. It was very hard for me to create sustainable lasting behavior change when I am triggered and activated. Mm. Um, so the fact that this time around, I started from this position of, well, what's the quality that I want to embody? And mm. that was presence. And because I've had a meditation practice for almost a decade, when I'm on the cushion mm. or I, I, I know what the quality of presence feels like and I know what it doesn't feel like. And so this is, this is, I'm, I'm saying this as, a, as, a, as an entry point into your question because mm. when we're like, I knew the quality that I wanted, like I, I could feel it in my bones. And mm. so when I'm not feeling that way, then I know I'm not being the way that I aspire to be or live the way that I want to live and so on and so forth. So from mm. that point, the habits were able to flow pretty naturally because I could feel when I'm taken out of that state or, Mm. and so on. So here's, here's the way, here's how I, I designed around it is, um, I basically deleted social media off my phone, Mm. right? All the apps gone. Hearing itself makes me like 
Oh my god, how 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 did you do that? <laughs> yeah, just hit delete, just you know, hit hard tap the the icon and started wiggling and press the press the X in the top right corner. But yeah, so I deleted it. The other thing mm. you should know, which is I think I, I it I'm a I'm a I'm a big New England Patriots fan, having worked for the organization and you know grew mm. up watching the team. All of my news comes from Twitter and it's preseason. And so what I do is I log on once a day. I have a very specific curated list. Mm. And I give myself five to 10 minutes to just read about the Patriots because I feel like Twitter's the best source for that mm. information. Mm. And I log off. I don't touch the main feed. Occasionally I'll check my DMs because a lot of people still reach out to me. Um, sure. And that's it. And that's the habit. But it really mm. started. I also have two factor authentication to make it really hard. So I log out every time I, I log mm. in. So the habit is removed it off my phone, enabled two factor mm. authentication. And then when I log in, I have to log in. And that forces me to be highly intentional about how I use it. Mm. And I like that. if I'm, if I'm being honest, like that, that, that's the core habit. Um, mm. And, and the behaviors around it, but it really starts from what is it? What's the state of being that I want to cultivate? I want to ask you a question about, so now that you're experiencing present, uh, a lot of times I, I can talk about myself. I barely experience present, meaning I'm either always chasing something I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm being very vulnerable here. Like I have this project, I have this idea I want to, I have this idea I want to tweet out or I have this, you know, interesting experiment I want to make always chasing something or dwelling in the past, uh, meaning, oh my God, like some pain will come to my, my mind and some relationship, I, something that comes bothers me. So I, in Naval's words, I try to uh, in, inbox zero myself. The most present I am is with, is with my son, my two-year-old toddler. He's like absolutely present. He reminds me of this is it. No phone, no TV, only him, toys. That's it. His, yeah. his questions, his curiosity, experiencing that and all that. So given you are experiencing more than I am experiencing, which is, you know, not being on social for whatever reason, like define present. Yeah. So, so presence is the way that I, I mean, there are many, many great definitions of presence include in a number of which I include in, in that last essay I published, but it, to me, it's when all of your senses are wide open and you're taking in the totality of your, of your experience. So said another way, um, your eyes are open, your ears mm. are open, your nose, your taste touch. Like you can, you can feel your body. You can feel your feet mm. on the ground. The Buddhists would say there's a sixth sense, which is mm -hmm. kind of mindfulness, the, the ability to be aware of your thoughts, metacognition, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. And so when we're able to be with our totality of experience, what we realize is there's a lot more information that is, mm. um, that is coming at us at all times. And the reality is, is the, like the volumes of the, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of bits that are flying at us from our environment at any given time, only a small percentage are actually getting through to us. It would be too much for mm. our brain to take in. But if we allow ourselves to start to like give ourselves the capacity to be with more, it ultimately allows us to observe ourselves, to observe how we respond in the world. And with that, mm. it creates choice. As opposed to just, you know, as a lot of the Buddhist teachers and spiritual teachers would say, instead of just sleepwalking through life and reacting and just, you know, go, 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 or, mm. you know, looking back on the past. So what's, what you said is absolutely interesting. I've 
so far i've only known that being present is observing your mind observing your thoughts it's a meta presence but what you're saying is absolutely interesting which is you're saying that there is a physical aspect to it you can feel your bodily senses so much uh is that scary yeah, like to you if, well i mean i think it can be scary at times depending on what's what sensations i'm experiencing right. in a given moment um you know i've i've suffered from chronic chest pain largely due to muscle tightness um anxiety mm. constriction um mm. now i can feel constriction in my body pretty easily when it mm. first when i first started meditating and then being more conscious to this constriction and the, this like un, this like tightness in my chest i was freaked out i thought you know i thought i was going to die i'm not joking like wow. legitimately frightened wow. you know and especially when i was feeling that in a 10 day meditation retreat that was silent wow. or i couldn't really talk to anyone mm. frightening and so um that's not to say that this this choosing this path of presence isn't worth it what i believe mm. especially um whether it's business or creative pursuits having this presence is actually a superpower because mm. you're able to um tap into the totality of your experience and ultimately mm. choose like follow your energy mm. right um be able to just naturally follow curiosity to know what excites you to mm. be able to feel like oh this person said something and i feel like i'm feeling constricted mm. and mm. like i might not even be able to like might be subconscious not unconscious not conscious but like there's something that just doesn't feel right in my body. What and so by having presence, it allows us to kind of be with it and start to know ourselves better. Hmm. I like that a lot. And so, talk to me about how much of the influence your presence made on your business, the coaching, beat coaching, beat writing, beat everything that you're doing right now. Uh, talk to me about. did you see like a difference between using your own brain power before and after if yes yeah i mean this is probably the the answer you don't want to hear but i find that the more that i'm in presence the more i want to be in presence which means what are the things that bring me into presence mhm mm most of the time being with my family like you so like you know mm. being with kids is a great way to do that being in nature moving my body meditating mm. and so those things take time mm. and so as a result of it if i'm trying to cultivate these states um it means i'm not working as much and i'm leaving money True. and growth on the table because right. i'm choosing consciously to cultivate right. these states um, now that said yeah and, and now that said like how's business going business is going great you know it's i have i work with 16 amazing clients i could work with many more but i like keeping mm. my practice small um mm. and i've been on social media and i still have people reaching out to me almost every day for coaching so mm. you know it's not like my concerns of my business drying up and dying if if anything sharath you know what it's allowing me to do is mm. be way more intentional about the practice that i want to create and it's given me just enough space to start mm. to um think about a philosophy of change and transition and a philosophy of coaching that will hopefully you know help me evolve my practice such mm. that you know in 5 to 10 years there's a really strong foundation that was laid that couldn't have been um achieved or would have taken much longer had i still been and i'm holding up my phone for those in the audience you know stuck right. in the feeds because right. my attention was too fragmented like i'm unable right. i was unable to make certain associations and connections because mm. you know my my attention was constantly being hijacked and mm. by the way like i have self compassion and because i know i know that these products 
you know, are very addictive, right? Mm. And um, I have a lot of clients that are addicted to them. So, you know, this is not, this is not easy, right? These, these companies have designed these products to be incredibly habit forming. Mm. So just the reality of them. And again, like I've spent, I was on Twitter for 15 years. Like I can't <laughs> even, I can't even tell you how many hours I spent in the product. <laughs> Thousands probably. Uh, you keep on talking about success and you kind of like partially define like for Carl Rogers, you define like a different success. You're defining a different success for yourself and for other folks, like, you know, so on and so forth. Talk to me about it. What is success to you uh, now that you're experiencing at this phase of your life? Uh, yeah. What do you think about success and how are you defining for yourself? Yeah. So back in the fall, so I guess what, what we're, we're recording in August of 2023, mm -hmm. um, I published a piece called Rethinking Ambition. And mm -hmm. in it, I, um, I talked about how ambition is a dirty word. Um, you know, it's very polarizing, you know, some, some mm. people believe you have to have ambition to be successful and to get ahead mm. and, you know, move, kind of evolve. And then mm. there's some people, you know, on the other side of the debate that think ambition just kind of lead in, you know, growth at all costs leads to mm. a whole host of, um, externalities that are, that are quite negative and, and, um, you know, I don't necessarily believe that ambition uh, needs to be so polarizing. In fact, I actually think that ambition is a really powerful motivating force um, mm -hmm. for, 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 for everybody, right? It, it, mm -hmm. it gives people a sense of, of purpose. And so I was thinking that because these two definitions or like these two camps of ambition, like I didn't, just didn't see enough in the middle. And so mm. I wrote in this piece, I talked about this idea of um, holistic ambition, which is this mm. intentional desire to be, become, or create something new, better, or different that is aligned mm. with who we are and what we value. And so mm. in the piece, I talk about how this could be everything from designing a dream house to ensuring your sick parents have comfortable end of life, training mm. for a half marathon, or, you know, frankly, and this might resonate with you, or just being more patient around your kids, right? Mm. And so I think that we need to kind of step back from this idea of, you know, ambition is only tied to work. And then mm. seeing that ambition actually has multiple um, dimensions, if we're willing to look at it through this holistic lens. And one dimension is creating ambition, right? Which is like focusing on what you want to create and bring into the world. Mm. Another flavor is becoming ambition, simply, right. you know, which focuses on who and what you want to become. So like, for example, me being present and stepping mm. into presence, that's a becoming ambition. There's a be, uh, I would also say it's related to being ambition, which is focusing on like how you want to show up as a human being. And right. then there's a doing ambition, which is just like, what, how do you want to show up every day? And mm. it, what's interesting is maybe five years ago, my ambition would have been to be, you know, actually not five years ago, I'd say more like six or seven years ago, it would have been to be among the best venture capitalists in New York City. And right. now my ambition is quite different. It's like, yes, I aspire to, um, to, to develop expertise and mastery in my pr particular realm of coaching and, and run a successful practice. But another ambition of mine is to be the father that I never had growing mm. up. Right? right. And so, um, I also have an ambition to take care, care of my body and my mind. Mm. And so what I'm trying to get at for those in the audience is like, we can de define success any way we want, but if mm. we're looking at it just across one dimension, I believe we're shortchanging ourselves of what's really possible. And, you know, frankly, the benefits of, of having ambition. 
I I I think there is a there is a sense of contentment in your uh in your thoughts, right? Like you you're basically uh how do I put this? You want to do at your own terms, not in other people's terms. I think if you if if we all can come to that sense everything will be like super easy there won't be like you know the, the misery or the suffering will go away i mean you won't even you, you won't fall into the trap of comparing yourself with others and so on and so forth because that's that's one of the one of the bad sides of our silicon valley is you everybody is so flashy like at least the successful you know founders vcs and not intentionally they're not pushing but it feels like if you do certain things that means like you know you'll make a name or else <laughs> you will end up in the in the end of other yeah. spectrum to use Steve Jobs terminology you'll make a dent in the universe right yes and and what i'm at this point in my life what's interesting is i through lots of healing and and introspection and in a variety of other um, pursuits, what I came to realize and, and appreciate in, in myself is that for many, many years, I was living the life of other people. Mm. And, um, you know, it only, it, it helps that I'm in my, uh, I'm dating myself now, Sharath. I'm, I'm in my mid forties and I've lived long right. enough and I've done like enough introspection and right. looked back to see how I didn't have as much agency and free will in mm. crafting my path as I thought I had that, you know, I mm. was absolutely influenced by, by things in my environment. And, you know, right. whether you want to call it mimesis, mimetic desire, what have you. And what I'm starting to really appreciate in my own life. And it took many years of like depatterning you know, seeing all my tendencies and, and, and ultimately, you know, Carl Jung would call this individuation, but it's how do I really get to understand who I am Hmm. as a person and then ultimately design a life around that, even if it means that I'm not going to ever start a billion dollar company or run a billion dollar venture capital fund. And at a certain point I had to look in the mirror and say, okay, what's enough? What's mm. enough? And it's a question that I ask pretty much all my clients, like what's enough to mm. you? And, mm. and when you get it, is it going to be enough? Right. And, and, and it's, it's, here's something I'll just say to just close the point is I'm living in the woods. I have 15 clients. I have two wonderful daughters, great wife, knock on wood, a healthy body and, mm. um, you know, enough income to support the lifestyle that we want through my business. You know, will I ever make fuck you money? Will I ever drive a Lambo and have a yacht and, you know, vacation in Ibiza and all? No, no, but I'm okay yeah. with that. And I'm more ambitious now than I've ever been. I think being in your own terms itself is ambitious. That's it. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. You define your own yeah, thing. It's like, you it's like, it's like my buddy, Jonathan Basker, who's a super talented coach. Um, and you know, a very dear friend when I was leaving the venture world, he said this to me and I'll never forget it. He said, you know, there's a, there's a time where I thought I wasn't ambitious until I realized my ambition is to live a good life. Oh man. That's. And once, once he said that, it was like, oh, it's like, oh, wow, that's profound. That's a mic, that's mic drop right there. That's a mic drop moment right there. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I struggled with, with a set of things that you mentioned. Uh, and yeah. After I think my son like is gone, the same thing you said, right? Like, you know, being in the race, um, everything I do is, should be in other people's terms, you know, by default. 
and immediate comparison which will end up to jealousy which will end mm-hmm. up to envy a lot of yeah a lot of anger towards myself which will end up to not loving myself and hating myself mm-hmm. and which end up to like ungratefulness <laughs> so on and so forth so i i feel like mm-hmm. so i had i went to meditation you know in atlanta uh this was and during covid as well and the buddhist teacher there he they he taught taught us like you know different different practices methods mm-hmm. and all that but he is and at that time he was very happy and very content and he used to run a restaurant he still runs a restaurant which is like which is so far from the downtown it's like away from everybody like a small simple business and he removed so many of the things which i said like there is no point in being jealous with others you live your own life would you trade what you have with the person you are comparing with the answer is hell no never <laughs> or know. or may, may, maybe but we we often don't see the sacrifice and the cost that's required to go and achieve that that life right exactly and you know my my good my good my good friend holly whitaker she wrote this book called quit like a woman and mm. founded a company called tempest she you know she wrote an amazing piece on her substack recovering and her substack's called recovering but she mm. wrote this piece on like what's the cost of success right and we we only look at like gdp you know to mm. measure like economic output or income right. but mm. it's like what's what's the cost to maximize mm. that right like we'll what's it, it doesn't gdp doesn't take into account like what is actually required to produce that output like what are the externalities right. just like we don't look at what's required to generate each dollar of income and what's the cost and for some people it's not having a presence in their kids life mm. right or it's you know working themselves so much that they burn out and their nervous systems dere- uh, dysregulated mm. and so it's just my way of saying like you know to just piggyback of what you're saying is um yeah there there you know potentially there is a cost to this and right. um you know it's how do you, how do you want to how do you ultimately want to be right it's all if, choices. if yeah and it's if you choices. do it from a place of being aware and conscious that's great right there's it's nothing nothing wrong whatsoever with wanting to be in the race, right? Like I'm in the very early stages of of a book project and, you know, whether I publish it, we'll, we'll, we'll see, but like, do I want the book to do well and be on the bestseller list? Like my ego wants all of that, of course. And like, I'm going to work my ass off. Right. And, and, and so like, whether you want to call that, like, it's okay to want success. I think mm. there's a question just from what place is it coming from? Exactly. And this is this is getting deep, and I love it. Um, I hope like listeners, you know, understand this and absorb this and implement this. That's the most important piece. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about your early VC experience, early founder experience. Uh, what was that like? Do you ever miss right now? you're doing something else that you want to build like a company again, or what's your, some, I, I'm sure it, it comes to your mind at one point, or the other, how do you navigate that? Uh, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. I, you know, few, few things come to mind, you know, first, do I, do I miss it? I think there are some aspects of it that I miss. Um, mm. I miss the pursuit of the, the chase, you know, going to win a deal. <laughs> Um, right. you know, getting conviction, you know, finding right. a founder that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I miss working with founders and people in the business, but in a lot of ways through my coaching, I, I, I get a lot of that. Right. Um, the thing I don't miss is the con like the constant pursuit, the taking pitch meetings every day, email right. flooded with pitches and having to call, call through all of them. Like 
that there were a lot of aspects of the business that caused a lot of anxiety and stress first unconsciously mm. because I was, you know, I was, I was, I was ignoring them. I was basically repressing and suppressing lots of thoughts and, mm. and emotions. Um, but then once I started to kind of wake up and clean up and, and grow up as, as Ken Wilber would say, it became very mm. clear that it like just wasn't, this wasn't for me. Um, mm. and that I was really chasing someone else's dream. And mm. now I, I, I mean, there's definitely a, a number of relationships that I miss. Um, mm. but on the whole, I, I don't, I don't really miss it at all. I think my life today, even though, you know, my, my economic output was, is not close to what it used to be is a thousand times better. I, I mm. work for myself. I get to pick the clients I work with. Um, mm. I get to help people. I work probably no more than 30 to 40 hours a week. Um, mm. I have freedom and autonomy this afternoon. It's gorgeous out. There's not a cloud in the sky. I get to go for a bike ride. And right. so um, I don't miss it. Now that that said, like there is a part of me that wants to build something. And mm. and I don't think I, I want to go and build the Silicon Valley style company, but I could imagine eventually building something in the coaching space, mm. um, maybe a retreat center of sorts. I, I definitely have a lot of creative energy and mm. I definitely feel the desire to build something that's bigger than me. Now that said, mm. um, I'm being very patient. I know exactly right. what, like I'm very confident in the path that I'm on and I'm trusting and have faith that something will emerge and that when the right. time is ready, it, it will be ready. Um, I don't, mm. I don't feel the need to try to force anything. It's like, right. can I flow with the river? And when the river, when I, when I stumble upon something and it feels yeah, right, great. then I'll go after it. Um, yeah. now that I do want to make one point, um, kind of on the heels of whether I miss it. Um, a few weeks ago I went for a bike ride and I was like, you know, just for the sake of comparison, I want to, I was on 20 minute VC with Harry Stevens. I mean, when he was very, I mean, within uh, probably the first year or maybe second mm -hmm. year of him getting started and I listened to it. And it's so amazing. I'm like, this is like a different person that, that I was listening to. I'm like, I can't even believe this was my life. Right. And so it just was such a great reminder that, you know, using a word that you said earlier is like, life is fluid, man. Like, right. you know, yeah. it's like, depending on, you know, kind of where the winds take us, we can, it's why my Twitter bio now says, um, you know, I contain multitudes and potentials is because right. like, I, I, I always hesitate getting to a fix to any sort of identity because I believe that, you know, if I really lean into this natural unfolding in my life, that it's going to change. I love that. When did this uh, shift happen? Me, meaning the, the tactical side of Schlaff went to the philosophical side of Schlaff. Well, if I look back at my high school journal, I think there was a philosophical, deeply introspective part of me um, okay. from a very young age, which, uh, yeah, which is, which was, was kind of cool to see when I revisited a bunch of old journals. The fact that I, I was a jock using kind of like American parlance and played football, right. yet I, I kept journals probably should, tells you a lot, but yeah, I, um, so I think that this part has always been part of me. Now that said, it really started to take hold about a decade ago. I went away to, um, I actually started well before that, if I'm being honest, I started practicing yoga in 2003. So I, mm. I graduated from college in 2003. I moved to Seattle to work for Microsoft and my ex-girlfriend from high school, who I'm still really close with. Mm. Um, said that a friend of hers opened a yoga studio in Seattle, a hot yoga studio, Power Vinyasa. And I, mm. you know, here I am like yoga, like what, what, what the hell is <laughs> yoga? Like, she's like, just try it. Like, right. Go to, go to my friend's class. She's an amazing teacher. You're going to love her. And that was really kind of the first taste of it. Yoga is a moving meditation, right? right? It wasn't until almost, um, 
you know, 12 years later, despite having a fairly regular yoga practice where I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, mm -hmm. literally on a whim, mm. uh, while I was on vacation uh, for my brother-in-law's wedding, mm. and I read it, it knocked me on my ass. Immediately, mm. I came home from the vacation and was introduced to a meditation teacher by a mutual friend, learned transcendental mm. meditation, and, you know, my, my life has never been the same. Mm, so awesome. it, you know, I, I would say it really started about a decade ago in terms of like the deep study and, you know, really wading in the waters. It's awesome. I think, uh, I can't wait to see you write some of this stuff you mentioned in the book. So talk to me about like, let's, let's talk about your writing process. So you write, uh, where the road bends and most of your writings are stories. <laughs> it's like you talking to me you know, to, to another person. It's, it doesn't feel like no heavy words, very simple, more experiences, memories and all that. So talk to me about like how you write and what are you exciting about this book project? Yeah, well, I would say that Where the Road Bends has really been a labor of love. Um, I don't know who in the audience needs to hear this, but for many, many, many years. I mean, almost for more than, well, more than a decade, mm. I had this deep desire to write. Mm. And I, when I was an investor, early days of an investor's call, like 2010, I was spun up, I think schlaffed on me mm. and would just occasionally write. And I mm. always wanted to write, always. But then I was like, ah, it's kind of not that important. I have other things to do. Like if I spend all my time writing as an investor, is it, you know, like, am I going to miss out on things? And I just kept on punting and punting and punting. And finally, mm. when I decided to leave the investing world, I'm like, okay, I'm going to really make, like, I'm feeling called to really express myself using this medium. And I ended up hiring an editor a woman by the name of Rachel Jepson, who is a super close friend now. She's, you know, as I like to joke, she's like a coach, a therapist, an editor, um, and everything in between. Right. And I, coach, I just fell in love with the, yeah. And I just <laughs> fell in love with the medium. And I, I write, I write morning pages pretty much every morning. Um, hmm. It's a big, big part of my practice and just the way that I start the day. Um, and what, where the road bend, it's funny, actually, if I back up, when I started working with Rachel, she had me fill out like personal, like audience, like almost like um, audience development, where I like fill out three mm -hmm. different persona types and who I'm speaking to. And mm. within like four months of me writing, it just was very clear that I wasn't really writing to founders or you know, mm. that certainly they're in my audience, but for me, the thing that was really coming to the surface was more about how do we move through change and transition in a right. conscious and compassionate way. And it almost happened by accident, just by writing into my own experience and the things I was really interested in and just mm. sort of like, you know, my curiosity and energy went. And that's what, you know, I've just stepped into that process. And mm. it's been it's it's been life changing, right? It it helps fuel my business, but I don't, I don't view it as like, I have to do this. It's very mm. much like, this is something I love doing. It's really challenging. Like writing is a, I mean, most creative mediums, I believe, especially to do it at a very high level is a real challenge. Um, mm. but I, I just get so much satisfaction out of it. I love the topic of exploring conscious and compassionate, um, transition and personal evolution and, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a real gift. And the best part is, is I literally feel like I'm still a freshman in high school and I'm learning <laughs> every day. And, right. and, uh, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a wonderful process. And then in terms of the book project, um, something that I'm sort of sitting with is that it's very much an unfolding. I'm not like I kicked really, I kicked the process off in May. I mm. created, I, I got uh, reflect, which is kind of like Rome research. So it's like, a, uh, what does yeah. he call it? Like a, 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 a Zytel can or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically uh, just a place to store thoughts and ideas. And I just started reading books like, a, like, and, and posts online and revisiting, you know, things that I had read like an animal. 
and mm. I walk around with this small little moleskin. And mm. anytime I have a thought or I hear something, um, I'll just write it down. I save articles and books in and all my highlights into this note taking system. And mm. for me, rather than being like, I have to do like, it's going to be about this topic. It has to be this. It's more like, what am I collecting? Almost like I heard James Clear use this, but almost like mm. I'm, I'm kind of like a hawk flying. Yeah, yeah. And like, if I catch a glimpse of something, I'll just pick it up. And right. I don't know what that's going to evolve or morph into. And so really this process mm. that I'm embracing is an unfolding. And right. so in June, at the beginning of June, I said, you know what? I don't have a book topic. I'm going to give myself until September. <laughs> no pressure. And no pressure. something that I said was like, okay, well, what's the question that I want to sit in? And the question mm. I sit in was, what's the book that wants to come through me? What's right. the book that wants to come through me? What's the book that I want to express? And then rather than trying to answer it, I'm just get following my curiosity and saving things. And sure, it's kind of all in this big theme of change and transition, mm. but I've kept the aperture really wide open. And guess what? I'm now getting at a point where the topic awesome. is revealing itself. And nice. by next week, I might even have a preliminary structure of the book That's because awesome. I'm trusting a process and I'm keep in, in it. It's a, it's a creative flow as opposed to, I got to do this. I have to force it. It's I'm going with, you know, going with the river versus against it. Yeah, I love that. I can't wait to be honest. It's amazing. You know, Good to hear. Good to hear the big update. I think you, you throughout your life you've moved uh, like different. Like I said in the in your intro, you've switched different hats, and I think in currently you're also experiencing the transition going from being very active to being very active in present, right? So I mm -hmm. think that's a the transition itself, and you coach on that topic. That itself is a is something that you know untapped i would say nobody actually like kind of showed us the path so i would i will be the first buyer for sure you know uh take well, it thank take you it well, what, what, if and when i publish you know I, I should say when i publish the book hopefully you'll have me back on the show and we can talk Absolutely. about it for sure yeah i would love to i think you will definitely unveil a lot of these memories and love to talk about last question before we wrap up i know we're over time uh, in your experience working with founders, I I want to ask a tactical question for for the listeners. Like, ask you know, a tactical question. Yeah. So, where do you think founders struggle? Uh, early stage people who want to grow, uh, scale, like doesn't matter. Like predominantly, where do you think they can actually fix themselves? Yeah, it's. Listen, here's what I would say is it's, it's so, it's really dependent on the person and the context of the situation. Um, you know, I see founders struggle at all different points in their journey and based on all different things. Now that said, if we were to step back and just say, what's, what's the thing that I think is extremely mm -hmm. challenging for most founders? And I think it is um, finding product market fit mm. um, cost effectively. Mm. And to me, product market that fit feels like the thing that um, is really, really hard to nail. Mm. And it's almost like you, you know it when you have it. Mm. And if you don't have it, you push and you fight mm. and you claw and you scratch. Mm. To, to, to get it and you throw lots of money at the problem and you mm. never quite know if you really have it. And, and so any tips, to me, any tips that you want to, you want to give for, uh, about achieving product market fit in your experience and, you know, you've worked with thousands of founders. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say like, you know, I would, I would reserve that, um, that question for Lenny Rachitsky or, you know, other, other people that, you know, I think are, are world-class in this specific uh, domain and topic. Now that, now that said, I think there's really no substitute for um, living the problem or the product mm. and um, either putting yourselves in 
the shoes of the customer in terms of defining what it is that you want or what you want to see in the world or frankly, what, what it is that the customer wants. And I, I say those three things very distinctively because like, you know, if you look at coming back to Steve Jobs, you know, he would say like, you know, um, you know, people didn't know they needed a computer, right? Like Henry Ford said, now, um, if you ask people what they want, they'd say a faster horse, but mm. it's, what is it that, you know, you really have conviction over through your own lived experience and, and also, you know, talk to the customer. It's like, mm. let me give you an example. I have product market fit with my coaching practice. I could, mm. I could definitely scale my practice. Like I have, mm. I have no question because I think product market fit doesn't happen overnight. And, and on a time, like the, the, the disservice of the funding cycle is you raise money and you have to go and raise money every 12 to 18 months, which means mm. you basically need to come up with product market fit in 12 right. to 18 right. months. Right. Guess what? It's a complex context, meaning <laughs> you could throw $10 million at the problem and not get product market fit. You could throw two engineers and some ramen at the problem and you know have something <laughs> that has product market fit. So, so, so to me, it's about really being patient, really listening mm -hmm. and, um, you know, rigorous experimentation and, you know, talking, talking, you know, getting out yeah. there and, you know, for me, you know, I don't want to scale a unicorn. I just want to build a small little successful right. coaching practice. So, right. you know, unfortunately I found product market fit. Right. Right. It's, it's also, I think, like the, you said ties along with intention to what you want to do, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing is just something I see all shred, I mean, you know, in terms of like, I think product market fit is the most important milestone of, of any company, especially early on, uh, and doing it cost effectively. I think the other, the other thing is there's a whole host of emotional challenges um, mm. that I see founders struggle with. And again, it's, it's really dependent on the person. Mm. and the way they make sense and see the world. So um, everyone and everyone is so different. And yes, there's common themes, but, right. um, you know, there are definitely some, some, some flavors, imposter syndrome, not moving fast enough, interpersonal right. conflict, um, so on and so forth. Slav, this is awesome. I know, uh, I've learned so much and you've dropped so many reminders uh, that we all can, you know, really think about and implement in our lives. Um, I feel uh, being away from social, being very mindful and intentional meditation practices and being content, you know, that's, that's the important takeaway. I love that. And again, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I really appreciate it. Any, any closing thoughts? Uh, before we wrap up. Yeah. He, here's what I would say to those listening. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you heard uh, some new ideas today and what I would encourage you to think about um, is, you know, by no means I'm dogmatic. What I would say is, you know, go and sort of live, live life and experience life and see what's true for you. Um, mm. My guess is it will change. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate you being willing to, to hear me out and, uh, yeah, I wish you all the best. Awesome. Uh, I think on the high note, we can close it out and thank you all of you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. This is where, you know, this is what I really enjoy, like bringing these intimate, like, you know, uh, incredible conversations to you. That's, that's my job. And I, you know, I, I do it selfishly because I, I love it and stay tuned for more episode guys. We have, we have some amazing guests like Schlaf joining the podcast the next coming week. So, uh, stay tuned. That's all I could say. Cheers. Dude, this was awesome.